Welcome back to the Mastering Miles podcast, everyone. My name is Matt Ferlindis, and I am a physical therapist in the Milwaukee area that specializes in treating runners and running injuries. Today we have back on the show Abby Alcott, who is a board-certified dietitian that specifically specializes in sports nutrition. And today the topic is fueling for performance. We are going to specifically talk about and detail proper nutrient timing, both before, during, and after a very important training session, as well as a race. We are also going to be talking about some supplements that runners may find some benefit from. And lastly, we are going to specifically talk about hydration and electrolytes, and if there is a link between electrolytes and cramping, or if other things may be causing some cramping during races as well. I wanted to specifically give Abby a huge thanks for sharing her expertise with us on this show. She provides really great actionable insights into how we can use nutrition to really enhance our performance for those key sessions as well as our races to get our best performance possible. So without further ado, let's get right into our conversation with Abby. Well, welcome back to the podcast, Abby. Thank you so much for agreeing to do a two-part series. Um, the first part, of course, we talked about more generalized nutrition and a lot of the health consequences around it. So I'm excited to bring you in today to talk about more fueling from a performance standpoint and how we can use nutrition to perform at our best with our training and our races. Yeah, thanks, Matt. I'm glad to be back. Well, let's go ahead and let's just kind of dive right into it then. The first thing I wanted to to talk about is like more nutrition timing and like when should we time our nutrition? What type of strategy should we use? And we can kind of go step by step through the process. But I think that the best strategy would be to like say if we're talking about like a key training session. So like a long run, if you're training for a half marathon or marathon or even like a race, kind of what type of protocol or procedure you would follow leading up to one of those types of things. So to start off with, what should we be doing like the week and a few days leading up to that event? There's always a lot of talk about carb loading, but like what is the best strategy to use in terms of nutrients directly leading up to that race? Sure. That's a great question because a lot of people do think about carb loading. And of course, the first thing that comes to my mind is Michael Scott of the office deciding that he needs to eat every plate of fettuccine Alfredo before his 5k. Well, sadly, Michael wasn't reading his sports nutrition research because uh, <laughs> carb loading is seen to be beneficial only in events longer than 90 minutes. So unless you're running a half marathon-ish or longer, it's not going to be beneficial for you to carb load because you're not going to fully tap into those glycogen stores before. It doesn't mean that you don't need to focus on carbs, but you don't need to undertake a specific carb loading protocol. So does that kind of make sense there with considering your event? Absolutely. That office episode will always live rent-free in my head, 100%. That's one of my favorite episodes, and it's one of my favorite scenes where he's just chowing down the fettuccine Alfredo before. It always cracks me up. So that's really good advice to know. Like, it depends on what event we're trying to do. Um, So let's say, like, 
if we are training for one of those longer events, like half marathon, marathon, are there any like specific protocols that we should follow? Or is it more about just trying to get in good quality sources of carbohydrates um, and, and using that kind of strategy? Sure. So the specific protocol is within the 48 to 72 hours before the event, you should aim to consume between like eight to 12 grams per kilogram of body weight in carbs each of those days. And that should go along. Obviously, you're going to be tapering before. So the goal is to basically saturate those carb stores, those glycogen stores in your muscles. So essentially, say we've got a 130 pound athlete, that person is 60 kilograms, depending on the length of their race, say they're doing a carb load, and they're trying to get 10 grams of uh, per kilo carbs in a day, that's 600 grams of carbs, they should try to eat in the two to three days before the race. Awesome. That's great insight. And it's also important to note, make sure that you convert pounds to kilograms, or else it'll be a lot more carbs than in kilograms. That's always important to to note as well. If you need that quick conversion, it's take your weight, divide it by 2.2 and that'll get you your kilos. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And so that's great advice in carbs and it kind of simplifies it really. You know, it doesn't have to follow like this crazy strict protocol and just making sure that you're getting in good carbs. Um, any adjustments that we should make in terms of like the other macros, proteins, fats, things of that nature leading up to that race? Um, for me, it's really about the carbohydrates. I have met um, some marathon runners who will anecdotally tell me they try to go all low, like low carb and high fat before their race because they're going to, as they said, shock their body into using fat as fuel. And then when they use the carbs on race day, it's going to be really effective, which that's not possible because what we see in the research is if you did a strategy, it takes weeks for your body to start really getting into a state where it's using that fat as fuel. So it's not really going to have much effect. What we do have that research on is that carbohydrate loading. That's going to be more effective than trying some new strategy to be able to shock your system. Awesome. Yeah, that's good. That's good advice. And the body adapts really well, but it takes time. So it's not going to be worth just trying that all of a sudden before the race. Never try anything new on race week or race day. That's just Amen. stick stick to the carbs and uh, make sure you're getting in those quality carbs kind of along with it. So that's great advice. Now, if we speed up time a little bit and let's say a lot of races are in morning, so this makes it a little bit difficult, but like, let's say in the hours leading up two to four hours before a key long run session or before a race, what should we be trying to do in terms of nutrition at that point? Yeah. So the official recommendation is try to have a meal or snack that contains one to four grams per kilogram of carbs, one to four hours before you're going out to train. So like if it's one hour before, one gram per kilogram and so on and so forth. So let's take our 60 kilogram, 130 pound athlete. If it's two hours before, they're going to need 120 grams of carbs, like two times 60. So I just did a presentation on this and figured this out. That would be equivalent to about one regular bagel with peanut butter, a banana and eight ounces of apple juice. If you notice too, when you build that meal, you wanna make sure it's lower in fat and fiber. We need those nutrients at other times, but those tend to be nutrients that sit in our stomach for longer and might lead to some more like GI issues and stuff on the run. 
So now is not the time to break out the whole wheat or like the really high fat options, especially if you're prone to those issues. And then it's also good to practice this with your longer workouts before race day. So for example, I'm going to do a long run this weekend and I plan to try and practice eating in the morning because I'm really an evening runner. So morning races are really hard for me. So that practice really makes a difference. Is it worth on those like key sessions or before the races? Like it's good to get that nutrition in before. Um, how does that relate to like recovery and sleep? Like, is it okay to dip out a few hours of sleep? Maybe not a ton, but we're talking two to four hours and transportation. A lot of that eats up that time. Um, but is it worth, you know, making sure that we're getting that nutrition two to four hours before that race over like using that for sleep or other recovery methods? Really, I do think it's important to prioritize that nutrition because while it's definitely important to get that sleep in and I think trialing, making sure you're getting to bed a little earlier and working on that is going to be important. Getting in that nutrition is going to make all the difference for filling your glycogen stores and keeping your blood sugar levels up and it's going to help prevent bonking. So I would say that nutrition really should be a priority while also making sure comes into. Yeah, of course. No, that's great advice. And like you said, I think that's really solid to practice of before your long runs in training, making sure that you are getting to bed earlier, you're getting your sleep, but also waking up with an ample amount of time to get those carbs in. And that way you can get the most out of your workout, which is going to help your race too. But that way you're not shocking yourself in a new routine or system on race morning at all. But you've got that dialed in. You've got that carbs dialed in. Your body's used to that. I think there's a ton of merit to that in terms of performing at our best at that specific event or race. Yeah, most definitely. Now, so we've kind of have talked about like leading up to the race during the race, a lot of information gets thrown out. And so during the race, especially those races that are typically longer than 60, 90 minutes, half marathon, marathon, where we definitely rely on those carb intakes, what is the best strategy for fueling in the midst of the race or in the midst of the long run session? Yeah, so definitely it's important to get that during race fuel plan down. And I'm choosing to focus on like the the fuel right now, because I know we're going to talk about hydration and electrolytes later on. But the recommendations based on the length of your race or training effort is 30 to up to 90 or even 120 grams of carbs every hour in order to fuel your body. And so one thing to note is this is based on time, not the distance or the effort. So I have some runners being like, well, I know I'm running for two hours, but it's easy. Do I really need to take in fuel? Well, to your body, it's it's going off of time, like your body's running for two hours, regardless of how intense or not intense the run is. And depending um, on your runner profile or your athlete profile, so more elite athletes, um, male athletes, and like ultra athletes are going to be looking towards the higher end per hour of those carb recommendations. So if you're running for like one to two and a half hours, that might look more like 30 to 60 grams an hour. But if you're running for over two and a half hours, you might be going towards that 60 to 90. And then okay. if you're running longer than four hours, um, you might incorporate small amounts of protein, but that's to help with some energy and soreness after. 
Okay, those are really good tips and advice. And I think that's what we're seeing from all the research. Coach Jack and I talked about it a lot of a lot of those professional um, athletes and marathoners are putting in, you know, over 100 grams of -hmm. carbs an hour. And that's a lot. And it takes time for your body to get used to that overall. So as you've mentioned, it's really important to practice that during long runs um, to make sure that we are kind of slowly increasing that carb intake. Do you have a strategy that you like to use to slowly increase that carb intake during like the long run sessions? So like, let's say if somebody is at 30 grams an hour and they want to move up to 60, what's like a good strategy to slowly move up without causing any GI distress or any GI issues or anything of that nature? Sure. I tend to say like slow and steady. So if you're able to tolerate, we'll say one, you know, goo packet an hour and you're running for two hours, why not the next time you go try two for the first hour while still keeping one later on? And then maybe the next week you try two and two and you just kind of slowly build that tolerance up, I think can be a good way to go slow. Don't go out on the run with like all these different like nutrition products and then take 90 grams the first hour without having that experience. Yeah. Awesome. That's, that's great advice. And does it matter like what source we use for carbs? Like, does it matter if it's gel versus a Gatorade or sports drink or anything of that nature? Does like the, the route kind of affect it at all? That's a great question. So I'll dive into kind of the different categories I consider with fueling during exercise. So you can look at either what we might call real food. So that's things like, you know, snack items like pretzels or crackers or food items like bananas, applesauces. Even I've heard, you know, the people doing the boiled potatoes and other things. Um, in ultras, I know there's a lot more of the real food items. That's one option that you might have. Another option is, you know, the sports products. So this is our gels, our chews, our, um, you know, sport beans, other things that are specifically made by those sport performance companies designed for fueling. And then we have our liquids. So this is, you know, our sports drinks like Gatorade or specialized mixes like Tailwind, Morton Drink Mix, Gnarly, um, all of those things that are designed to give you all of your electrolytes and your carbs in one drink. So the source that you use, first I'll say it needs to contain what we call multiple transportable carbohydrates or basically getting its carbs from different sources because there's receptors in your gut for all of the different types of carbs you eat. So think about it. If you only took in glucose during a race, then your glucose absorber in your gut is only going to be able to handle so much. But if you take in something that's got glucose and fructose, that's two different transporters that can be active and help you absorb more. And then other things to consider are what's convenient for you. So if it, a lot of these sports products, for example, they're designed to be easy to carry. You can rip the top off a gel and take it in and that's that. Versus if you have like a baggie full of crackers or like something like a cut up sandwich, that might be a little bit more difficult to have on the go. Another thing to consider is your tolerance. So some people, certain products might work better for them GI-wise than others. They might find that the goo gels really upset their stomach, but they can tolerate another kind of gel. Or maybe it does work better for them to have a real food product or a liquid. And then also consider the cost. 
those sports products are or those liquids are designed to be you know effective and they're like convenient but they can get really expensive like some people can't afford to pay you know a couple bucks for every morton gel that they're going to use during training it's a lot cheaper and cost effective for them to use the real food options like a pack of fruit snacks so those are all different things you can consider when choosing what kind of fuel works best for you but the key is to practice whatever you think you're going to work with. Great advice. I mean, there's so many different products out there. So it's helpful to try different things and see what works. You know, for some people, the gel works really, really well. For some people, more of the sports drink um, works really well overall. So everyone's a little bit different with how they digest and intake that. So I think that's really, really great advice as well as just progressing very slowly um, with things overall with it as well. So I've been practicing that a lot myself because I'm training for Ironman this year and great spot for me to practice that is on the bike. Cause that's just the easiest way to yes. get as much in as possible. And on my long rides, it's very easy to practice that. And I'm very proud of myself that I've gotten myself up to 80 grams per hour. So I'm, I'm pretty proud of myself for that one. <laughs> awesome. Any... Way to fuel. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Any um, specific like glucose to fructose ratio that we should look for or is optimal? Because I know a lot of times more of the fructose can sometimes cause more GI distress. Um, so when we look at that ratio between those two, is there anything that would be most beneficial or what we should look out for in those products? Yeah, so there are specific ratios that we see that can be helpful. So the ratio should be around two to one glucose to fructose, which truthfully, a lot of the products out there right now have really taken advantage of this science. So they tend to already have that, but a lot, so a lot of websites will be advertising that. So that's something you can look for. And another question I have related to like fueling and getting in these carbs during the race or event what is like a good strategy or time frame for taking these? Should we make sure that we should, should we make sure to take these before we necessarily feel like we're in need of them? Or is it all about trying to get in a certain grams per hour and just trying to practice the most effective schedule for you during your long runs and during your um, training runs? I think it's a little bit of both. So you're definitely going to need to take them even if you don't necessarily feel you need it because if the time comes and you're feeling like you're bonking, it's already too late. So you want to stay on top of it before you start to feel that way. And I think it's also trialing what frequency, what interval works for you to get your goals in. So I know for me, for example, based on my certain paces, it helps me like, you know, every, you know, three to four miles to take something in. But for others that might need to be every two, others maybe every four, every five, like depending on what you're doing. So it takes practice and also be ready before um, you feel any of those symptoms. <laughs> yeah, that's great advice. So definitely the biggest things, practice, find what works best for you. And if you're uncertain where to start, possibly chat with somebody like yourself, who's an expert in this field of sports nutrition to kind of get started on a correct strategy. And you can kind of progress and go from there to find out what works best for you. Definitely. Now we've gotten through the race. We fueled great um, PR 
all PRs all around after finishing the race, we're feeling good. How about nutrition after the event in order to make sure that we're resupplying our glycogen supplies, as well as making sure that we're aiding in the recovery and aiding in all the like muscle damage that likely happened during the event? Yeah, that's a great question. And so there's there's kind of two categories there. So one is say this is a hard training effort and you know it's like a two-a-day workout and you're going to be doing a second workout less than eight hours later. That is when we really, really want to prioritize refueling those glycogen stores. So what that would look like is trying to get one to 1.2 grams per kilogram of carb every hour for those first four hours after that initial training session. So again, we're 60 kilograms. We're trying to get 60 grams of carbs every hour for those first four. And then in that also initial snack, we want to get some protein in. So that would be 15 to 25-ish grams of protein to help aid that recovery. Now, the other category is say we just did our hard workout or our long run, or we just finished our race. It's not that you necessarily need to follow a strict schedule like that to fully refill your glycogen, especially because you're probably going to rest the next day or for a specific amount of time. It's more important to get enough of carbohydrates throughout the day to refill your stores, enough protein throughout the day to help your muscles recover, and drink enough fluids, electrolytes to help rehydrate, and then getting in some colorful foods like those fruits and veggies to get in those antioxidants that are going to help with reducing some of that inflammation. Awesome. Yeah. Just to help that whole recovery process out a little bit overall. Um, in specifically to protein, is there a certain amount that we should try to get after these workouts to make sure that we can aid in just that muscle recovery? So the official recommendation, I believe, is 0.25 to 0.3 grams per kilogram in that initial post-workout snack, especially if you're not having a meal right after, which tends to fall within 15 to 25 grams for most people. So what that could look like, as I say, it's about a palm size of protein. So it could look like a Greek yogurt parfait, a fruit smoothie with a scoop of protein powder, um, some turkey jerky and some crackers or a tuna pouch with crackers, like kind of trial and see what works best for you. Awesome. I appreciate those suggestions too, because sometimes it's hard to imagine what that amount of protein kind of looks like overall. But when you give those suggestions, it seems very easily attainable that we can take in that much protein or this much carbs or whatever it is during the event, after the event, before the event, it makes it much more relatable. Um, to like exactly what type of food you should look out for and like the sizing and portions and all that. So that's super helpful as well. Yeah, because we don't eat numbers. We eat food. Yes. So yeah. I totally get that. Now, um, so that was awesome. Great advice in terms of like those key long run sessions, the race itself, performing at our best before, during, and after the event. That's absolutely awesome information and what we should be striving for in terms of nutrition. The other question I had related to that is, how does that change if we're just doing kind of our average run throughout the week? So maybe it's just like a very type or zone two, and it's just kind of our recovery zone, our aerobic zone. Um, is there anything that we need to make sure in terms of that nutrient side of things that we're keeping covered for like those types of average runs that we do throughout the entire week? 
I would say that's where nutrition consistency really plays a role. So figuring once you have a general idea of your carb and protein needs throughout the day, that's when you just want to be consistent with getting enough protein and getting enough carbs and energy overall in your diet so that your recovery process is good from that day to day. There, I know there used to be like this idea that there was this magical window of timing where if you eat your protein after a workout, that that's when you are best primed to have like muscle healing. But what we're seeing in a lot of recent research is that really that window is a lot longer than we think. And it's more about getting enough throughout that day. So consistency really is key. Wonderful. Consistency and just making sure that you're getting that appropriate nutrition daily. I think that's great advice. And that way we don't have to necessarily hardcore stress that we're getting in everything, anything and everything during those average runs. But as long as we're just consistent and we have good nutrient practices and um, eating practices and things of that nature during the week, we should be set to go. Definitely. Now, going along with that, we chatted about this a little bit last time, but like there's so much fad out there of like doing fasted runs um, of like wake up in the morning, don't eat anything, don't get any nutrients in and kind of go out for a run. And I, I think the goal is to kind of boost fat oxidization to use more fat. We've talked a ton about how carbs are king. But when we talk about like that um, fasted run, is there any merit to that at all or can that pose any like negative effects to our performance or training or anything? Yeah. So like you said, that proposed mechanism for doing these fasted workouts is to help, you know, improve the use of fat as fuel, basically make your body more efficient at using fat. And then I know some people also do it to avoid GI distress because they're like, well, I can't eat anything before I go work out or run anyway, because I'll just have an upset stomach. So what we see in the research is that doing this training, it does increase fat utilization and potentially increase mitochondrial mass. However, what we see is also some cons. So for example, if you are doing, especially if this is a really important workout, you're going to have poorer performance because more intense workouts are more fueled by carbohydrate. So not getting that in is going to affect your performance. We also do see in the research that there is an increased like rate of muscle breakdown because you're not getting that fuel. And then I'll caveat this with saying I am a weight inclusive health at every size dietitian who's not all that into weight and body comp manipulation. And we see that engaging in this fasted training can cause body comp changes that most people might not see as favorable. It actually can lead to an increase rate of storing fat, which I know like people trying to have muscle for training might not be in favor of. So overall, my take is in my practice, I don't really recommend these because almost everybody I meet with isn't eating enough anyway. So engaging in a kind of training where you're eating less tends to already take away from what we're working on. We also see that men tend to see if we're seeing benefits, men tend to see a lot more benefits because women are already more efficient at using fat as fuel. So they're not potentially going to see the same benefit. And then also just because somebody is using more fat as fuel, that doesn't always translate to having better performance. So I know some people are really in favor of this, but just me coming personally, it's not really something that I recommend. And I say, if you are considering this, consider the time or the length and the intensity of your workout and see if this is actually going to benefit. Like if you're planning to do this before a tempo, 
you're not going to get the best out of that tempo. And consider your relationship with food overall. If you're already struggling to eat enough or if you can, it causes you some issues to cut stuff out, it's probably not a good practice for you. Yeah, so it seems like a lot of the risks kind of out, outweigh the possible benefits that we might have from it overall. Yeah, that's that's just my take on it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like we know from research too that performing at a certain above a certain intensity level, we're going to be using a lot more carbs and fats. So your body's just going to naturally, especially at those higher intensity levels. I think it might be. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe, feel like it's above seventy percent VO two. About You're, 60, 70% VO2 max. Cool. Your body switches to way more carbs just because it's so much more effective. Yes, definitely. Awesome. So it's you may not be getting the effect that you quite want from from those specific runs. So I appreciate you detailing some of those some of those risks. I wasn't aware of some of those. So that's helpful to know. And it's it's important to know from that whole perspective of like if I choose to do this route, like what am I risking versus what am I gaining overall? You know, if the goal is performance, time after time, carbs are king. Definitely. Awesome. Um, we talked about the main macronutrients for performance. Um, are there any specific supplements that might be of some benefit to runners? Um, there's a lot of research and information that goes out, especially about like caffeine, um, how it may benefit some aerobic endurance. Is there anything that runners may benefit from, from that supplement world in order to aid and further enhance that performance overall? Sure. So I'll highlight a few here. So one supplement that I really like to recommend is omega-3 fatty acids. Um, so what omega-3s are, is there a specific type of fatty acid that is extra anti-inflammatory and they can be kind of hard to get in our diet. So they're mostly found in fatty fish like salmon. A lot of you may have heard about salmon to get your omega-3s, um, shellfish, some nuts like walnuts, some seeds that can help you get in your diet. But the amount that we found that is really beneficial for sport performance is 1,500 to 2,000 milligrams a day, which would be really, really hard to get from food. So taking an omega-3 supplement could really help with um, reducing inflammation, which can help with recovery from workouts and injuries. So that's one that I'm generally pretty comfortable recommending, although I say do check with your doctor if you're on any medications because it can interact with some. And then, yeah, caffeine definitely does have a proven benefit for endurance exercise. So what caffeine is, is caffeine doesn't give you, quote, true energy. It's a central nervous system stimulant. So it helps um, delay feelings of fatigue, helps you feel more alert, and it reduces like your per perceived exertion during that session or that race. So if you are going to take caffeine before a race, the official recommendations is trying to get between two to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight in the hour before you're going to train or race. And I know a lot of products have a little bit of caffeine sometimes in there that can help. My notes on caffeine, though, is if anyone listening to this is competing in any circuit where they test for banned substances, levels of caffeine above certain levels determined by that organization are banned. So if they test you and you're found to have higher levels of caffeine before that, you can get, you know, stripped of awards and not allowed to compete. 
And then I also tend to check people who are really over-reliant on caffeine, because like we said, caffeine is a stimulant that can aid in performance. It is not a substitute for actual energy from food. So if you're an athlete and you cannot get through the day without multiple cups of coffee or always needing an energy drink to help with sessions, you might want to check your nutrition, your sleep, your training schedule, and other things to really see why you are so reliant on caffeine in order to be able to train. And even too much caffeine in general, especially in youth athletes, can have a lot of side effects and things that aren't helpful. But the last supplement that I wanted to highlight was um, uh, beetroot, or like you've seen it maybe in beet powder, beetroot juice. So I know um, beet supplements have been pretty popular recently in endurance sports because the natural nitrates that are in beets help to improve the body's oxygen uptake and delay fatigue during endurance exercise. So I know there's some, um, there's supplements like beet elite and other things that have been popular. So the research that we have says to take about 500 milliliters of the juice or about one and a half ounces of concentrate 90 minutes before training and like do it for at least six days before training to see effects. The downside is, I mean, I personally, I hate beets. I hate the taste. I will never use this supplement because I don't want to taste dirt. So the taste <laughs> might turn away. It can cause some bright red urine. So some people that might be a little shocking. And then it's also seen to have more benefits maybe in novice athletes versus more trained athletes. So for some people, it might not be as effective. Gotcha. I hadn't heard about that one quite as much. So that's helpful to know. Um, what about um, tart cherry juice? I know some people use it to like prevent delayed onset muscle soreness and things of that nature. Any um, use for that at all? Oh, I love me some tart cherry juice. It helps that I love sour tasting things. So yeah, tart cherries are a natural source of anthocyanins, which is a compound in these dark colored fruits and vegetables that can help you um, reduce inflammation and can help with that delayed onset muscle soreness. So the recommendation is to take in about, you know, 12 to 16 ounces of the juice or about an ounce of the concentrate, um, like one to two times a day. And I like to recommend, you know, you can make a smoothie with the tart cherry juice, or I've seen at like collegiate programs, they make tart cherry slushies for like a really hot practice day. And I also like to really recommend it before bed because tart cherries are a natural source of melatonin. So it can help with sleep too. Awesome. That was actually going to be my next question of whether there are any of those supplements um, that help to aid like sleep and recovery because we all know how important sleep is. So like, are there any of those supplements that can help that sleep um, process uh, um, and just make sure you're maximizing that recovery? Yeah, so definitely that tart cherry juice may help. And then I've also seen some athletes have some benefits from magnesium, since magnesium can also help with uh, muscle relaxing. I've seen some supplements even advertise that with, you know, like calm sleep, and they tend to have some magnesium in it. So that one I've seen as well. I, um, like I said, I've, I've very big in the triathlon world and there's a, a, a specific magnesium supplement that is just really getting heightened by a lot of like pro triathletes and things of that nature as a, as a way to like recover and get some good recovery and sleep and things of that. So it's good to know that that magnesium has some merit to it as well. 
Yeah, I'll say definitely check the form of magnesium you have, because magnesium citrate is also a kind of potent laxative, so... Like check check what you're getting. <laughs> Sounds good. That's that's good advice. It's very useful advice, um, for sure. Anything else to add in terms of? So our next topic is going to be electrolytes and hydration. Anything else to add from your perspective, Abby, on the nutrition, um, supplements, anything of that nature in terms of fueling for performance? I'll say on those supplements is there's some questions you should ask yourself before you look at supplements. I'm very much, and I think most dietitians are food first before you're looking at the supplements. Like if your goal, I'll use this example all the time. If your goal is to work on gaining weight and you want to go get that mass gainer powder, but you're not even eating breakfast in the morning, like there's a lot more that we can do before you look at that. So I would say before you consider any supplement, check your diet and see if there's anything you could do with your nutrition already that could help you improve. And then the next step would be take a look at the organization that you're competing under because supplements are not regulated in the same way food is. Um, so you want to get something that's third party tested like NSF for sport or informed sport so that you know you're getting the right ingredients and it doesn't have any banned substances. And then really dive into what's the research behind this, because supplements can claim a lot of very pretty things on their label and anecdotal stories can be powerful. That doesn't mean that you're getting something that actually works. If there's no research study that shows that this product has any benefit, you could be wasting potentially a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So that's something I always say, consider like the risks and benefits of these supplements and whether you even need it in the first place. Always diet first and then supplement where needed, but make sure that you're optimizing your diet and then making sure that you are doing as much research as possible on those possible supplements to make sure that you are as safe and healthy as possible. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. So going to the other hot topic with um, performance and running and race performance electrolytes and hydration. Um, there's so much information out there about like electrolytes and cramping electrolytes. Obviously we want to stay away from like the really serious health conditions like hyponatremia after races. What is the best advice surrounding hydration as well as electrolytes overall? Sure. So I'll clarify, are we talking daily hydration or mostly hydration for races and long workouts? Let's go ahead and let's um, talk about hydration for races and workouts. So the gold standard way to determine how much you need to take in fluid and electrolyte wise during workouts is to be able to do some sweat testing. So a good DIY way to do that at home, if you are somebody who is like, okay, and capable with taking and knowing your weight weigh yourself in minimal clothing before the workout and after the workout and take into account any fluids or food that you took in during. So we'll do simple math. Let's say somebody um, weighed 130 pounds before the workout and then they went out for two hours and they lost three pounds. And we'll say they didn't take in any fluids or food, which we know that wouldn't be good, but let's just say this person did for the sake of math they lost three pounds, um, that would be divided by two hours. They're losing about a pound and a half of fluid an hour since you're not losing any muscle or fat or bone, you're losing fluid from sweat. And one and a half pounds, a pound is 16 ounces. That means that 
that person is losing about 24 ounces of fluid, give or take every hour. So our goal would be then after workouts to try and replenish at least, um, you know, one and a half times that amount. So if someone lost a pound each hour, 16 ounces, you'd want to try to get 20 to 24 ounces um, of that fluid in to replace. And then during, we try to say it's about, depending on your sweat rate, if you're low, if you're high, it's going to be between about six to 12 ounces every 15 minutes or so to try and keep up on replacing those fluids. Awesome. Is it worth adding, especially during the, when we're consuming those fluids during the activity that we add in electrolytes into the mix as well? Yeah. So it's important to get in electrolytes because you're losing electrolytes, especially sodium from your sweat. So if you're training longer than an hour or in particularly hot and humid weather, that's going to be extra important since you're going to be sweating more and losing more of those electrolytes. Most people, from what I found in my research, need between 400 to 700 milligrams of sodium an hour. But some people might have more on the lower end and some people might be more on the higher end. That's something where the real best way to do that is to get an official sweat test. Like there are some expensive ways that people do that, like precision hydration or some other wearable, like, you know, devices. So that's a way you can determine needs more specifically. Other ways is just to kind of see how you're feeling. If you're drinking, for example, um, a standard serving of Scratch Labs is a popular like electrolyte product contains about that they have like I think one packet's 380 milligrams of sodium and I have a I have a colleague who works there as their dietitian so if I'm wrong she might come after me but I'm going to try to be true to this since I use the product very often it's 380 milligrams of sodium per about that 16 ounces of fluid which comes out to about 400 milligrams of sodium per liter of sweat which is right about the amount that the average person loses. So if you're able to drink that amount and you feel good during the workout and you feel good after, you're probably okay. If you're still feeling those symptoms of dehydration during and after the workout, like having headaches, feeling dizzy, lightheaded, that might be a sign that you need more. So there's different ways to take a look at it from those perspectives and keep in mind the conditions in which you're training. Once again, test it out and kind of see what works best for you and what helps you feel the best overall. Definitely. Um, really quickly, kind of going back to like just general hydration day to day wise while we're training, is there any useful formula or any useful amount of just normal fluid hydration that we should get try to get on a daily basis just generally? Sure. I'm a big fan of the standard divide your body weight in half and drink at least that many ounces. On top of that, add in what you lose during training. So for really easy math, if someone was 100 pounds in half, that's 50. They need at least 50 ounces of fluid a day, add on to whatever they might lose during training to replace. So they need 50 ounces, they train for an hour and lose a pound of 16 ounces, they want to get in 20 to 24 ounces to replace that, that can be a good baseline to go off of. Awesome. That's the formula I've used for myself in the past too. And that is based off pounds and not kilograms, correct? Yes. Cool. So 
pound or weight in pounds um, divided by two. And that is how many ounces that you should you should try to get overall, just generally speaking. I think that's a nice, easy formula that everyone can kind of strive towards overall. Definitely. And lastly, um, I wanted to bring up just to kind of get your opinion on this overall. There's like much more research coming out in terms of like cramping. And like, what is the cause of the cramping? Um, I'll link this article in the show notes, but it was by Martinez Navarro et al. And I think it was a study that showed that they took like runners after a marathon. And essentially they found that when they did like blood testing between the runners that cramped and the runners that didn't cramp, there was like no change in their, there's no difference, I should say, in their electrolyte levels. But what was different, it was just certain markers for uh, muscle damage. So, like, is there actually a true link between electrolytes and cramping? Or is it more of a muscle strength issue overall? That's really good that you cited that. Because what I was going to say is there is outcoming research that sometimes it looks like electrolytes really might not be the difference maker for that cramping. And it might be more related to that neuromuscular fatigue. Again, this could be very individualized on the person because if somebody is otherwise well hydrated, then the, and you have both groups are hydrated and taking in electrolytes, like that might be the difference maker. But for other people, they've noticed, oh, the amount of electrolytes I take in really does affect me. And we do see that, for example, when people on low carb diets, like the keto diet, it's very common to see a lot of like muscle cramps when they are in that diet because they're dehydrated and don't have enough electrolytes from not getting in those carbs. So carb intake can also make a difference. So I would say overall, I don't think that the electrolytes play as much of a role in the cramps as we think. And I think it's still important to get them in and see individualized what may be affecting you. Nice. That's that's great advice because um, everyone's so different. And so some people I know, like they've changed their electrolyte and their cramping totally changed. And some people don't have that same effect. And so possibly if you're someone that's tried a lot of electrolytes and you're still dealing with some cramping, it might be worth trying to do more strength training and things of that nature and see if that helps things out or adjusting carbon take in some way, like you mentioned, and see if that helps out. Because um, I think a lot of times runners are just straight to cramping electrolytes, but it's important to know <laughs> that there may be some other causes or reasons for it in order to find some sort of solution if you do indeed have an issue with cramping overall. Definitely. Fully agree. Awesome. Cool. This is was a information packed episode, Abby. So I truly appreciate your time and your um, expertise in all of this to be able to give us some really good, actionable advice in terms of when to get the nutri nutrition in, how much to get, what we should look for, what we should adjust. So um, really greatly, truly uh, appreciate all of your expertise and knowledge with this. This is awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Always like getting to share with you guys. Yeah, of course. And if you don't mind, go ahead. And again, you can let people know where they can find you, follow on social media, website, all that good stuff. Sure. You can find me um, on social media, Instagram. I'm at Energy Sports Dietitian. And then for my website, um, you can find my private practice at www.midwestperformancenutrition.com. Awesome. 
Everyone, go ahead and check Abby out and definitely contact her if you have any other specific questions or want to utilize her services or anything of that nature to really perform at your best with the assistance of really good, solid um, nutritional strategies and skills overall. So thanks everyone for listening and happy and healthy training. <music>